for me, the changes, it's coming off in layers and I still have a long ways to go, but it's been amazing. If you give God the chance, he's got an amazing plan for you, but you, sometimes you have to get out of the way and just be obedient, suit up and show up, give him the chance to surprise you. Joining a small group is something I was apprehensive to do, but I wanted to step off the ledge and be obedient to God. It's the best thing I did all last year was listen to God, joined a small group, and created a whole new set of deeper friendships than I've ever had, honestly. We just come as we are, and we just we work on all that stuff together. So spending a couple years sneaking into the back of the church, sitting in the back row, keeping a safe distance, and just getting what I needed out of church. I was thinking, well, somewhere between Sunday and Sunday, I needed some more spiritual food. That's what I thought a small group was gonna be. It was just a refill mid-station. I found that it's not just about what I get out of it. I get to contribute to it. I get to stand back and witness between other people. And we come in here and we, we can cry, we can struggle, but we can just be ourselves and it's a safe place. Nothing leaves the room. We can do real life together. Sitting in the back row, I wasn't growing. I've experienced more growth in the last six months, craving more time alone in the Bible just because I'm getting fed. I'm getting all kinds of added nutrients. It's, it's a lot more than I expected. I didn't expect to have the friendships and the camaraderie and the support, and it's the best investment of time that I made all year. I feel like I've grown in my prayer life. God has revealed himself just through everything that we've done in our small group. To have a safe, grounded pod of people to be there for each other is, is not something you often find. It's created a friendship of support and we just do life together. I had no idea. It w it's been a life changer. For sure. You know, I think just they're an important part of a big church. They have to be a you know a part of the big church because a big church just can't meet everybody's need on a on a personal basis like a small group can. There's this loving liberation that happens in our lives that allows us to have someone else to depend on and and share our lives with and help when they need help and, and obtain help when when we need help. It's been the silver lining. I didn't expect that. I just, I expected to get spiritually fed in my walk. I didn't expect to have this, this team and, and all the other added benefits that, that the small groups brought for us. There's a little phrase up there on the screen right now that says, in this together. And we're going to be talking about that for the next couple of weeks. If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant. I'm glad that you're here on Saturday night. Thanks for coming and hanging out with us. And I want to talk to just to the family of CTK for just a couple of minutes. Uh, uh, if you have been in this together with us for the last year or so, especially in the world uh, financially, uh, your year-end giving statement should have arrived in your mailbox sometime in the last couple of days. Or if you may be patient, it'll, it'll probably show up Monday or Tuesday. And here's what I want to say about those little giving statements. First of all, thank you for your faithfulness and your generosity and your sacrifice. Once again, you have always, you continue to surprise me. Even though I've been doing this with you guys since, since 1999, I'm always amazed at how 
gifted and, and generous you people are. And so I want to say thank you. If there are any issues with your giving statement, it seems inaccurate, whatever like that, please let us know. Just give our, one of our, our friendly people in the finance department a call. They'd love to get it straightened out for you. And uh, Shauna, Jennifer, Jackson, that whole crew would love to be able to help you out. So you've been asking me questions for three weeks. Now it's my turn. You've been texting in one week, other weeks we took email questions that we've been having over a long period of time that pile up in my email box, and now we're going to have an opportunity to kind of turn the tables just a little bit and dive into a subject that I know already because of the content of the video, some of you are already thinking, how in the world can I just slip out the back door? All I'm going to ask is for a hearing for the next couple of minutes, because here's my simple question. Would you be willing to allow God to use your home if you knew spiritually dead people would come back to life in your living room? Let me ask you a question again. Would you be willing to allow God to use your home to become a place where spiritually dead people come back to life? Some common statements. Audience participation. Don't leave me hanging, okay? Finish the statement. All for one and... I'm in it to all hands on misery loves, united we stand, divided we fall, right? They're all cliches and they have a common thread and the common thread is encapsulated in that little words in this together. A long time ago, for whatever reason, I started signing all of my letters and notes and correspondence with that little phrase, in this together. The words were one part self-comforting, because it was nice to think that I was not alone. Another part of that little, that little graphic there was one part prophetic, because God commands us to be in this together. It's why it's been one of the, the concrete building blocks of this gathering and this expression of God's family. Now, I know some of you are already going, oh boy, here we go again. And I just want you guys to hear my heart, hopefully as you've heard it over the last couple of weeks. I don't want this to be another small group series where Grant does his best to talk you into something that you don't want to do. I don't want it to be another moment where we get to the end of the service and you roll your eyes and go, finally, it's over. I don't want this to be a mundane religious experience that's the equivalent of going to the doctor. You know, like you know you should go, but honestly, until there's a crisis, like you're dying, all right, you just can't seem to fit it into your already busy schedule. I don't want it to be that. In fact, I would love it to be exactly the opposite. Can it be? I have no idea. Let's give it a try. We've been talking about small groups in this church since 1988. We have laid out the reasons ad nauseum over and over and over again. We have used the Bible, guilt, and manipulation to try and get every single human being into a group, all right? We have tried everything in it, and what's happened over a long period of time is eventually the topic begins to become somewhat like castor oil, right? It's like your mother or your father trying to force it into your mouth, and all they're saying is, it's good for you. Trust me, it's good for you. And then you taste it, and you're like, are you kidding me? Here's the good part. Last month, on average, a thousand adults in this church were in a small group somewhere. A thousand of you, somewhere along the line, found out that there was enough value to, to create a window or a space inside of your already busy schedule. 
So because that many of you are already in it, here's my other fear. You're going to go, well, I know what we're talking about. I'm out, right? I already got this. I'm just asking as a church family whether or not we can have the same kind of honest conversation that we've had the last three weeks when we did the series Ask Me Anything. If you're down for that, I'm going to ask you to grab your Bible or your Bible app. Acts chapter 20 is where we're going to be. In Acts chapter 20, you find not your average small group experience. In fact, it's the kind of experience that would probably freak you out if it happened. In Acts chapter 20, it's one of my favorite little... Somebody made a a joke last week. They said, Grant, how come you always say, this is my favorite passage of Scripture all the time? (laughs) It's because they're all my favorite passage of Scripture. That's why, okay? Acts chapter 20, starting in verse 7. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread... I mean, that's off to a good start, right? Wherever there's community and food, that's just good stuff. The Bible says, Paul spoke to the people. And because he intended to leave the next day, he kept on talking until midnight. Okay, let's just stop there for a second. So apparently, Paul missed the memo that a good small group starts on time and ends on time, so you don't hold everybody hostage for the entire evening, okay? So apparently, the Apostle Paul is struggling, but because he's leaving the next day, We're going to give him just a little bit of latitude. But here's a clue in the social graces of small group. If you've been talking for a really long time and everyone in your group is staring at you and their eyes are really, really big, it's time to land the plane, okay? Just because I love you. Just stop talking, please, in Jesus' name. Okay, verse 8. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting. Upstairs room. If you ever come to Israel with me, and I hope you do. There are these beautiful little living areas. But I read that verse and it's so much more because what it tells me is somebody had opened their home to this group. Somebody took an an absolute risk and opened up the front door and said, I'm actually going to allow some other human beings, some of which I know very, very well, some of which I don't know as well. I'm going to trust God and allow them to actually come in to my sacred space. And it's warm and it's comfortable and it's long. (laughs) Verse 9, seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. Some of you are like, this is like every single week in my experience at Christ the King. Grant talks on and on and I slip into a very deep sleep. I feel your pain. I'm not offended. Don't fight it. Put your chin on your chest and grab a nap. I'm good, okay? Here's like typical church. There it is, right? When he was sound asleep... He fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. Ooh, swerve. (laughs) Didn't see that coming, did you? That's not good, right? People are not supposed to die at small group, right? They're not supposed to fall out. And what happens? The leader freaks out because that's exactly what should have happened. Verse 10, Paul went down, threw himself on the young man, put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said. He's alive. And then he went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. What? What? It's kind of like, no big deal. Guy fell out of a window, schmucked his head. It's not a big deal. People come back to dead, from, from the dead around here all the time. This is Jesus, he had a habit, passed it on. It just happens. It's like it's so unbelievably common, right? And then he's just like, it's okay. Raise the guy from the dead. Go back upstairs. Take a nap. Have a snack. You're good. Wow. The Bible says after talking until daylight, he left. And the people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. 
I love that story. It's a story about community and food and love and crisis and catastrophe and death and resurrection. I think this story is a small group story that we wish we could all tell. And I think we all wish we could tell it because we would all love to say in our lifetime, I got to see a dead person raised to life. I got to see somebody who was on their way to a Christless eternity and because a group of people just decided to love each other, we got to see a complete transformation of a human soul. Here's the deal. Spiritually dead people come back to life in a small group environment all of the time. It happens over and over again. You know why? Because that's just the way Jesus works. And sometimes he does it in a big room, and sometimes he does it in a small room, and sometimes he does it surrounded by people that you don't know, and other times he does it with your friends. Now, I already know how this is working, right? Because you know Grant's going to make his case, and you're all thinking, and I am not giving in. I'm not going to do this, and I can hear the excuses. So you know how it works around here, right? Let's just talk about the excuses. Let's, let, let's speak to the objections because some of them have some level of validity. What's the one that I hear most often? I'm too busy and I don't have time. Here's my reality. I don't have time either. But we prioritize what's truly important to us, don't we? We give our time, our energy, our money, and our attention towards those things that we actually believe hold some value. In fact, I will go so far as to say this, anything worth doing is going to cost you some time and energy and attention. It's just the way that it works. And I would challenge you to look at your calendar and then ask this question, where do I find in my calendar the two parts of life that are eternal? God's word and people. Where are they? And in contrast to how much I watch reality TV, where are the real people in the real word of God, we're all busy. I get it. And there are seasons in your life when you are busy with something that needs your total focused godly attention. I totally get that part of it. But to use it as an excuse perpetually, let me just tell you something. You're never not going to be busy. But you can always prioritize. Here's the second excuse. I just don't see the need. Totally understand that too. And you never will until you have a crisis. Amen. Until you have a crisis. When you got a crisis, and I mean a big one, my question is this. Who do you have in your life that you can call to carry that burden with you? You need to be here next week to see how a group of people surrounded a family that needed help for a season under, under unbelievably tragic and difficult circumstances. In fact, this group of people that you saw praying over each other in the video, they're actually a real group, okay? They're not paid actors. They're real people who do that every single week, and they have a story to tell you. I'm going to put Pastor Brian Steele right here. I'm going to put his wife, Katie Steele, right here, and you have got to hear this story. It will change the way you look at relationships in Jesus. Here's the third excuse. We got kids. We got kids. It just doesn't work. You know what? My kids are all grown up, but we did a small group when they were small. And because I'm now over 50, old, and irrelevant, I'm going to have to quote a younger dad here because I can't make this case anymore. But I went to a guy who has small children who I know is committed to his group, and I just said... Sir, 
How do you make it work? And these were what he said. He said, small group is what we want our kids to see and know about Christianity. We want this behavior passed on and to be seen as normal. He said, during weekend services, we separate from our kids almost immediately. Whereas in small group, my kids get a close-up of how mommy and daddy love the people in our group. Mm. He goes on and said, I would also say my kids are teaching me how to do community just as much as I'm teaching them. Boy, I didn't expect that. So yeah, child care can be hard. It can be a real challenge. But we actually have people who can help you brainstorm on how to create ideas and to get creative around what it means to have your kids be a part of this kind of functional family. Other people may say this, you know, Grant, my family is my small group. I get that too. I totally understand. And I've got room for that as long as you're actually and purposefully taking relational time to encounter Jesus as a family. And I'm going to say something because I know it, because I've lived it, and because I've done it. True biblical community is not praying over pizza in the van between soccer games. And I love pizza, and I love soccer, and I love kids, and I love you enough as parents to say... Where do I find Jesus in your schedule, in your priority, and in the way you model how God's family is supposed to act? Last excuse. I had a bad experience once. I had a bad experience once. I like that one because can I be honest with you? I had a bad experience at a Super Bowl a couple of years ago when they should have run the ball instead of throwing the ball. And I got over it and was still cheering for the Hawks all year. <laughs> I got one amen. That's cool. All right. So let me be as loving, caring, and tender as I can be as your pastor. If you've had a bad experience, get over it. Get over it. You're not that easy to get along with either. In fact, you can be just flat out difficult, especially if you're one of those people that talks all night. I mean, we're handing you an egg timer going, this is how much time you got. That's how it's working. How about the biggest excuse? I just don't want to. Okay. Here's what's cool. Nobody is going to try and make you do anything. You've got free will and we want you to exercise it. But let me answer again a question that I get regularly in my email box because I touched on it three weeks ago and I want to make sure that you know that this in this together thing did not come from us that actually Jesus thought of it first. Because if this is just a man-made idea, it's just a complete waste of time. But this is actually the way God said he wanted his family to operate. So why do we insist on making a big deal about small groups at CTK? Here's the first one. It's to be obedient to the model God gave us for biblical community. Okay, We gather together in small groups outside of this big room to live out the one another commands of the Bible. Love one another. Serve one another. By the way, let me stop with that one. Nowhere in Scripture does it say anything about being served as a believer. Amen? Right? Doesn't it say anything about being served? It's always saying, no, you're supposed to serve. You're supposed to serve. You're supposed to serve. I mean, if anybody should have served Jesus, it should have been all of us. But instead, what did he do? He, he pulled a brain melt when he decided in a moment with his disciples to show them the full extent of his love, pulled out a towel and a bowl and started washing the feet of his creation. 
All the while saying, it's a clue. That's a clue. Love one another, serve for one another, pray for one another. We gather in community to give, and anything that we get is supposed to be a blessing. And we need to have that mindset going in. Otherwise, you're going to end up with another disappointed experience. We give to help others, not with an agenda, but simply because God gave and gave and gave and gave some more. We gather to grow in a relationship with Jesus and his people. We gather to encounter God through other people's trials and victories. That's why the original church... And sometimes we don't even allow them to be, to be human. The original church, under the pressure of Rome, think about that. Under the pressure of Rome, did life this way. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And don't stop reading there. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. What happened after people were obedient and connected? People came to Jesus. It's always got to be the focus. We can't ever lose that. Why do we do anything? Because it might open the door for spiritually dead people to come back to life again. If we don't believe that, let's call off Easter. I just actually think that what happens here on Easter can happen all year round. Secondly, Why do we make such a big deal of it? It's to be obedient to God's command to love. You know, in our modern world, when people see love, they notice. They notice. I don't want to steal next week's story. You need to hear this. But when Katie was actually down in Seattle having her brain surgery, I walk into a a waiting room, and it's, it's literally standing room only. Brenda, you remember, you were there, right? There's no room for anybody because everybody's in there together. Why? They're loving Brian and Katie. And, and I got to chat with another lady who was there. She'd actually been prayed over by a group of people from our church before I even showed up, which just made me smile. She was there waiting for the results of her husband's surgery. He was also having brain surgery that day, and she was there all alone. And about halfway through the afternoon, she couldn't handle it anymore. And she goes, she looks at me and she goes, who are you people? We're God's family, and we do life this way because the Bible tells us to. Pastor Todd read these words, a new command, I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know you are my disciples by your good theology. Is that what your Bible says? By your perfect attendance record at church, that's how they're going to know. By by your perfect stance on all of the modern issues that you're facing every single day, that is not what your Bible says. Your Bible says, (laughs) by this everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another, if. If. Last reason why we make a big deal out of small groups is to be obedient to God's command to serve. So listen to these words, introverts and extroverts alike, people, people, and non-people, people. Listen to these words, homeowners and department dwellers and room renters and everybody else who hangs out in a coffee shop as if it belongs to you. Listen to these words from Scripture. 
Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. No grumbling allowed. Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Offer hospitality like Jesus. You know what inspires me? Jesus says he's going to host his family for all of eternity. We get a little glimpse of what that's going to be like when we gather together in somebody's front room. How do you make this happen? So some of you are just like, Grant, I don't... Let me lay it out. You can be part of, spirit, of seeing spiritually dead people come back to life. And here's the coolest thing. You don't need to be a pastor or a Bible teacher. You just have to offer hospitality. Because the reality is this, and this is where I'm coming to in just a moment. I'm actually going to call some of you to a place of decision. The reality is no small group can exist without a host. Places where people are convened, okay? And hosting can be as simple as this. We use the little host acrostic when we're teaching people, right? It goes like this. H, have a heart for God. Just have a heart for Jesus. That's where you start. O, open your home. I know it'll freak you out, but good things can actually happen when we come out from behind the garage door and interact with other people. S, serve a snack. It doesn't have to be filet mignon. It doesn't have to be baked potato. Popcorn and peanuts works. Just serve a snack and tea. Turn on a DVD. You're like, that's it? Yep. Have a heart for God. Open your home, serve a snack, and turn on a DVD. And if you do that, God can actually take your living room and turn it into a place where spiritually dead people come back to life. Now, some of us get hung up on the word leader. That's why we don't use the word leader. We use the word host. Because you're like, I'm not a leader. That guy's a leader. That woman right there, now she's a leader. We don't even go there. Because some of us get so hung up and we're just thinking, there's just no way I can do that. Let me give you another way to think about it. So next weekend is going to be epic. First, you're going to come to church and you're going to hear Brian and Katie's story, which will absolutely encourage your heart. And then you're going to hear how God used their small group to love them and serve them in a moment when they literally couldn't do it on their own. And then after church... You're going to go somewhere and probably watch a football game. And you're going to eat chicken wings and queso dip. It's the perfect day, right? Jesus, Brian and Katie, Super Bowl, chicken wings. It doesn't get any better than that, okay? Now, just think about what you're doing in the afternoon. You've got a passion for football. So you open your house and you put out some snacks so people will feel comfortable and welcome. You turn on the game and then you talk about it. And here's the key. The key is not expertise in football. It's actually hospitality to other football fans. Same thing for a small group host. You got a passion for Jesus. You open your house and serve a snack. You hit play on the button on the DVD player and then you talk about it. The key is not the gift of teaching or Bible expertise. It's hospitality which the Bible said we're all supposed to do. So here we are. We've come to a moment of decision. If you're not used to this, um, if you hang around here long enough, you're going to figure this out. This is a high-challenge environment. This is a high-challenge environment because we have a conviction. People are dying and time is flying and we're supposed to do something about it. We're supposed to do something about it. So it's really good to kind of step into this moment and go, I hope somebody else does something about it.
Or I only have four chairs in my living room. Cool, best group I've ever been in has got four people. We're working on number five right now. It's awesome. This is not about getting into a group. That's going to be for the next couple of weeks. We're going to have opportunities for you to get in a group. What I'm doing tonight is I'm trying to recruit a bunch of people with living rooms to entertain the audacious thought that God could bring a spiritually dead person back to life in their home. So here's today's action step. I will investigate the possibility of partnering with God as a host. And it's exactly that. You're just investigating. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to tell you. Okay, so there's no surprises. I'm going to pray. And I'm going to ask God to show up and tap you on the shoulder. And in a moment when we're done praying, I'm going to start pointing people towards that open door right back over there. And in just a moment... Pastor Ryan Irvin, Pastor Brian Steele, Pastor Kevin Brearley, who's here even though he's sick as a dog, God bless his heart. You can hug him, just don't, yeah, just don't get too close, okay? But there, 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 there is a sign in the back of the room that says, in this together. Go ahead, you can look, see it's right back there, I'm not lying to you, right? In this together, that's what it's called. And in a moment, after I'm done praying, if God has tapped you on the shoulder, I'm going to ask you to do something crazy. I'm going to ask you to get up out of your seat, to walk that direction. You're going to go across the hallway into the meeting place. You will be there for no more than 10 minutes. So by the time we're done singing our last song, you're going to be able to go and pick up your kids. It's going to be perfect. Okay? We actually planned it this way. I know. It's crazy, but we did. But we're looking for a handful of people who are committed to saying, I'll open up my living room. And here's the deal, which I love as well. You're like, if I open it up, are they ever going to go away? <laughs> here's what we see, say at Christ the King. Try it for eight weeks. If it doesn't work, no harm, no foul. You can step out. That's all we're asking. Eight weeks of your life. It takes you right around from here up to about Easter time. So you're thinking, you're praying. If you got kids with you, they're elbowing you, just like, Mom and Dad, you should do that. You should listen to your kid. They're listening to Jesus right now. Okay, so, so we're going to give you an opportunity. If God blessed you with a place to have the opportunity to see just whether or not God might show up in your living room. And you might have the lifetime chance of seeing a spiritually dead person come back to life again. Let's pray together right now. God, I don't want to make anybody do anything. I don't want to try and talk anybody into something, but, but right now, Lord, if your Holy Spirit would just move and touch us, in the deepest part of our soul when it comes to, to people and you and miracles and hope. God, I'm asking right now, would you come and help us to have a vision of this world like you have? Because God, we want to love like you do. 
And the truth is, when we were on our own doing our own thing, you made space for us. We want to do the same. So God, I pray right now. Lord, if it's a, if it's a husband and wife, will you, do you lead them in the same direction? If it's a single brother or sister, would you lead them in the direction? And God, we're just going to do what we can to make ourselves available to you. So God, help us create space for those who are still about to come. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so here's the deal. You're just checking it out. You're not committing to anything. But if right now you're just like, okay, I would entertain that thought having people in my living room knowing God might just use me, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you, okay, nobody's going to freak out, but just you're going to stand up, grab your stuff, and you're going to head to that back corner right now where Pastor Brian and Pastor Ryan are lifting up their signs. So off you go right now. There you go. You're just going. Awesome. shame on me for having too little faith to think that nobody was going to move. Bad pastor. Can we just say thank you to God for So God's going to continue to stretch us. He's going to continue to take ourselves out of our our box. In fact, while we're singing this last song, if God just keeps tapping and won't let you go, you can head back there anytime you wanted to. You know, I'll be honest with you. When we first showed up here, Laurel and I had no interest in being a small group at all. We're just like, not a chance. We'd had bad experiences with Jesus people before. We're in a group now with four other young married couples. And every other Wednesday night, they put so much into my heart, it just scares me. I thought I was going to go there and show them a thing or two. They taught me how to pray. They've taught me how to believe. They taught me how to love my wife better. I'm a rich man because of those folks. So we're going to sing, bring the service to conclusion. Andy will dismiss you in just a little bit. Thanks, Uriah, for coming hanging out with us, bro. It's just so cool to have him. And uh, I'll tell you what, uh, I stick my head in the back door of Ecclesia on Thursday nights. When they sing that Stones song, it just, the whole roof of Norway Hall starts to move. God's doing beautiful things downtown. So I'm not sure even how to end this. Let's just sing the song. Church, would you stand with me? Let's worship together.